high. There we go. You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how we doing? Uh, good evening, Glenn. How you doing? And good evening, Jet Nation. Yeah, doing all right. You know, hanging in there, as we said. Uh, well, uh, of, of course, I didn't do the show last week. Thanks for holding that down. Um, as we said the week before, uh, some pretty wild times, man. Uh, n- you know, we're living in a time right now of a situation that uh, no one has ever seen. No one, no one, even, you know, you, you see, like, I saw a story yesterday about a guy, like, 104 years old and survived this thing, and he survived Spanish flu, but that guy doesn't remember Spanish flu. He was, like, four. Um, so n- nobody nobody walking the earth right now can be like, oh, I remember what it was like this last time. So just crazy times, looking for distractions. Hopefully this can be one of them for you guys out there. I just finished nine days self-isolation uh, away from my family. It sucked. Thank goodness my uh, my results came back negative, but I had a fever and sore throat. Uh, so nine days in a spare bedroom while I waited for test results. Results were supposed to take five days. They took about seven. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, things suck right now, and we, we wish like hell that uh, everyone out there is, is doing fine and and just stay home, for God's sakes. Stay home. Um, Alex, how you holding up? We'll, 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 get, we'll touch base with you real quick on this, and we'll get into football. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, keeping busy. Um, I'm part of the essential worker crowd. I'm in transportation. So, uh, you know, we're just doing what we can. And I'm glad to hear your news and, and that you're feeling better. And, you know, like Glenn said, you know, guys, we just have to be smart about this thing. And, you know, hopefully soon we'll go back to, uh, you know, our normal day-to-day and, and the draft is coming up soon, so all good things are coming to keep our minds uh, in a happier place. Yeah, be safe, man. Uh, real quick, I know uh, I said we wouldn't we move on to football, but I'm not one of these hypochondriacs. Like, I legitimately cannot – the reason I got tested for this thing, cannot remember a time in my adult life when I ever had a fever. So of all the times to get the first fever I can ever remember to get it like this week or last week – I was like, oh, that's it. Like, I have this thing because I don't get fevers. I've never had a fever in my life, and now I have a fever. Uh, so anyway, so, so now we'll move on. I'm not a hypochondriac. Um, so Alex, uh, Joe Douglas met with the media yesterday. We're going to discuss some of his comments, as is often the case. He didn't say anything earth-shattering. Uh, one comment he made that I'll, I'll want to focus on, and then we'll do our mock draft 2.0. And as I've said previously, uh, whether it's myself, you know, even before Alex joined the show, I always like to limit the mocks to two because I don't like the over-the-top mock draft 13.0. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. However, um, given the current climate and the fact that there is a very good chance, or there is every chance, uh, we're going to have some spare time on our hands. We might make an exception this year. We might roll another one out a day or two before the draft. Um, But this is 2.0. 2.0 was going to be the final draft. We were going to do it a couple of days before. But when I saw everything that was going on, I thought, you know what? People like mocks. 
um, that you know it's, it's a fun thing for us to do, and it, you know it's, it's not the end of the world. Too. Yeah, it's 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 not the end of the world if we do an extra one. So this may may not be the last one, but we'll go over the mock. We'll talk about Joe Douglas, his comments about current Jets, about free agents uh, that the Jets could be reaching out to, and let's and let's get right into that, Alex. So so for, actually, b- before we get into that, let's thank our sponsor. Uh, Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social, M-I-L-E, Mile Social. For help with managing the social media needs of your business, contact Mile Social by going to their website, milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E, social.com, milesocial.com. All your, all your business needs, all your social media platforms. All right, so Alex, Joe Douglas met with the media. Uh, he said, you know, he, he threw out the... Uh, as every GM does, you know, Joe, your receivers are terrible. What are you going to do? Well, you know, we like Vincent Smith's going to get going to get a chance here, and Braxton Berrios is going to get a chance here, and I don't doubt that because those guys did flash a little last year, um, especially Berrios. Man, Berrios had that one big play where you just you watch him streaking down the field, outrunning defenders, and you just think, why why hasn't this guy been targeted like once a week? Like why has he been completely invisible, non-factor? Um, so hopefully the plan is to get him a little bit more involved. Uh, Vincent Smith, another one, a burner, you know, ran the four twos, four threes, whatever it was when he was coming out. Uh, but Alex, the most interesting comment to me, I don't know if you heard the, the, the presser verbatim, but was Joe Douglas saying basically there aren't a lot of good offensive lines in the NFL right now. There's a, there's a shortage of quality linemen, and you can never have enough good ones. Now, of course, that's cliche. Everyone says it. But but him saying it that way kind of tells me that even though, you know, in, in my mock, I took into consideration, because if you look at my first mock, I had a couple of interior linemen. Um, I believe I did anyway. And I thought, well, with adding a center and adding a guard and adding a backup center and, another, you know, they signed 5-0 linemen. You got Lewis, you got Van Roten, you got McGovern, you know, all these guys. I thought maybe maybe they won't draft two interior linemen, maybe just one. But maybe they do, Alex. Maybe they, maybe Joe Douglas is legitimately like, listen, I'm going to build my line, and if somebody gets hurt, the guy who's going to step in for him isn't going to be a downgrade. I just want quality linemen and quality backups. Um, do, do you think there was anything to, to, to glean from that comment from him saying there aren't a lot of good, there's not, there aren't a lot of good offensive lines in the NFL, and uh, and we want to we want to make sure that we've got plenty of them. Do you, do you think? The Jets could still go in there and grab, say, three O linemen in the draft. I, I do think it is possible, um, mainly because of uh, another topic he talked about. Uh, a lot of the one-year deals that he put together uh, doesn't really tie us down to any of these players that we've obtained in free agency, and uh, you know doesn't hold our salary cap in jeopardy long term as well. So, you know, these guys they could play well and they, they could get extensions or, you know, they could, you know, not live up and kind of be who they are. Um, and if we do draft well on day two or day three and get some interior, uh, those will be your, your guys that you're probably going to go to in 2021. And, and that's a good, you know, philosophy to have because you'll have a base of young players on rookie deals, not a lot of money. And that gives them even more opportunities to go out and try to make, you know, some splash moves next year, uh, you know, even though that doesn't always work, but there are times like when you're a team like the Jets and you need an edge rusher or you need a quality corner, 
you know, they might be in a better place next year to get one of those guys. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and I think it's, it's clear at this point, Alex, I almost, about a week ago, I almost did an article on this. And then I saw that it was kind of right around the time I was, I was thinking about it. I feel like I saw two or three or four other writers write a similar article. And it's basically, you know, with these one-year deals, just looking at how Joe Douglas really is setting up for next year, next offseason. It is, I will say now, now, unless they find a way to extend Jamal Adams between now and then, we'll see. But I would say by the, by the time next offseason rolls around, the Jets will have a minimum of $80 million in cap space with the ability to go up to 100 if they feel like cutting some guys. Um, if, they wanted, if, they say, look, if they say, look, Le'Veon Bell, that the cap hit is manageable, we can trade or cut him. Um, uh, and uh, a couple other guys that I was looking at uh, over the cap the other day. Uh, Henry Anderson's a big one. Henry Anderson next year, zero cap hit, nine million in savings. So if he doesn't have a monster year, Henry Anderson is almost ten million in money, and they're and they're starting the offseason with around eighty, again according to over the cap. So next offseason, and again all these one year deals, it, it lines up the possibility for comp picks the following year. That'll be tough though if they're going to sign a bunch of guys. Um, even if all these guys walk, these seven or eight guys, they're going to have to replace them. And if they go out, if they're going to have a hundred million, they probably won't be looking at, at any comp picks. But um, it really does look like they're they're setting up for next year. If you're going to have a hundred million in cap space, uh, that's that's nothing to that's nothing to sneeze at. And now we see these rumors again. I know Alex, and I know you saw it. For those of you who haven't, and this is purely speculation. But it was a uh, a Dallas Cowboys beat. I believe it was a Dallas beat writer, and someone asked him, you know, what what were the chances of uh, Dallas making an offer for Jamal Adams again? His response was that if the Jets don't come to an agreement with Jamal this offseason, uh, an extension of some kind, Dallas will up their offer and try to pry him away. Uh, Jamal Adams saw that and tweeted uh, tweeted out a meme of uh, someone making a facial expression like they thought it was interesting, and then he deleted it. So Jamal, you know, he's still playing the social media games. Uh, Great player, not the most mature guy, but, you know, that's not the end of the world. There are plenty of great players who aren't really, uh, who don't really get it yet. So I would love to see Jamal Adams sign a five-year extension with the Jets, but I wouldn't be shocked if they do look to move him. But, um, again, that's 100% rumor, 100% rumor. No, you know, it's uh, it's one writer taking a guess. It's no different than, you know, anyone who covers the Jets saying, yeah, I think this will happen. I think that, you know, no sources, no reports, guys just taking a guess. But wh- where are you with the, with the Jamal Adams, Adams thing, Alex? I know we've we've talked on the air briefly, uh, off the air a little bit about how the it, the Twitter antics aren't a huge deal, but it is kind of it's it's almost like like high schoolish. Like, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking, but I'm going to imply it and let people figure it out. And then I can deny it later if it's, you know, if it, no one can say I said that, but I did kind of say that. Yeah, it's not painting a pretty picture for when these conversations begin to, to vamp up. And I'm sure that they will as soon as the draft is completed and, you know, the roster starts filling itself out and there's some money left on the table. Uh, that that'll be all the conversation, you know, will they, won't they, you know, what? my stance on it is still the same. I would prefer to pick up his fifth year option and then look to do the long-term deal next year. 
I think that would be the best plan for the, for the Jets. That may not be the best plan for him. Um, the stuff he's doing on social media, you know, some people don't look into it, don't feed into it, but then, you know, there's some other people that, uh, you know, look, in, look too deep into it, um, I guess you could say, and, and they get a little emotional. But, you know, that's the whole part of social media craziness. Yeah, it's definitely um, – it, it's one of those things where it doesn't really – it shouldn't matter. And it, it, it's like, you know, the main thing is does he play well on Sundays and is he keeping his nose clean off the field? And he does that. And that's why I hope he stays. But yep. I, something about the way Adam Gase carries himself, the way he doesn't have time for guys that he doesn't like, I, I just – I can't – I keep thinking back to the, the trade deadline stuff and Jamal. And, again, that was sort of a cowardly move by Jamal. We You know, we've discussed this where, he, you know, Jamal, have you talked to Joe Douglas? No. Jamal, have you talked to Adam Gase? No. Jamal, have you talked to the owner? Yeah, I've talked to the owner because I trust him. I believe him. I trust him. I trust him. I talked to him because I trust him. Oh, so you don't trust Joe Douglas? Oh, I didn't say that. Don't say I said that. Like, dude, come on. You literally just sat here and said you haven't spoken to those guys yet, but you've spoken to the owner because you trust him. And then when someone says, oh, you don't, you know, so it's that kind of thing. Like, I'm not going to stand here and say I don't trust them. I'm just going to make it clear by my statement, and then I'm going to accuse you of putting words in my mouth. So I think I think Gase, again, when you look at the players he got rid of or benched while he was in Miami, and I would I would bet Adam Gase would more so than Joe Douglas. Um, and again, this is just purely just me guessing, but I would think Adam Gase would be happy to move on from Jamal Adams, um, whereas Joe Douglas, I believe, and when he says he would like Jamal Adams to stay, I would like Jamal Adams to stay because he's a good football player, great football player who stays out of trouble. I want him on my team. Um, but that being said, uh, I think the situation will be worth monitoring this off season. Uh, you know, as this offseason carries through. So, um, so without further, further ado, Alex, let's, uh, let's get into our mocks, Mock Draft 2.0. And just as we did last time, we did these using the Draft Network Simulator because, um, and I'm guilty of this too, uh, sometimes I maybe grab a player or two who I think to myself, that dude probably won't even be there, but I really want him, so I'm going to pretend he'll be there. Um, so even though... Even though this, even though this is a uh, a simulation, and and there are, you know, at least it's sort of governed by uh, by the by, by the draft network. And actually, looking at this now, and having mentioned the interior line, Alex and Alex just shot me a message. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Brian Winters. Let's let's talk about yeah. that. That was the last thing about the Joe Douglas presser that uh, that I meant to bring up, and obviously forgot. Thanks for the the heads up. What what are your thoughts? Is it look? It's looking more and more like they're going to let him hang around, and uh, you know, take up seven point two million dollars on this roster. Absolutely, uh, something that we've been talking about uh, for a long time, and, and a lot of people were anticipating. Uh, and I think you know, some people were a little shocked when uh, with the statement that was made about uh, he'll he'll have an opportunity to compete. So that means that we're probably going to be seeing. Uh, Greg Van Roten and uh, Brian Winters go head-to-head for, and maybe Alex Lewis, too, uh, compete for a starting position. And I believe he said the same thing with George Fant as well. So uh, Joe Douglas has been pretty interesting with the the contracts he's dealt out with these offensive linemen. Um, but clearly he did not make any commitments yesterday. So that that definitely caught my attention. Yeah, I think, honestly, if, if Brian Winters is on the roster, and if he's 100%, 
I would almost rather Alex Lewis go to the bench and Van Roten play left guard and Winters play right. I think that's your best lineup, but that's if Winters is healthy, which he has not been for much of the last three or four. Of the last three years, he's been healthy very little. He's sort of, he's different from Quincy Inunua in that he still plays. He plays hurt, but he's similar to Inunua in that you can no longer say, well, this guy's going to give us 14, 15 healthy games. He's probably going to get hurt at some point. And we've seen when he gets hurt, he is just not very good. And um, who would be? What offensive lineman would be able to block a 300-pound man with, with a torn abdominal muscle? You know, kudos to that guy for, for showing up to the damn facility with that injury. I'm not knocking him. I'm just uh, talking a little bit of reality here. So maybe that uh, – but if he's – let's say, you know, knock on wood, say Brian Winters comes in 100%, he's healthy and ready to roll. I think I would rather Van Roten, McGovern, Winters up front than uh, than Lewis because uh, – and that's a disciplined group. Um, and, uh, I mean, Lewis was good for a penalty every week for about five, six weeks running last year. Had that crazy streak where he just got flagged every single week. And it seemed like every one of them, you know, was on a big play, you know, first down, get called back, stuff yep. like that. So we'll see. But Lewis is uh, – he's making more than Van Roten. So you would imagine he's got the leg up if there was a competition. But I think they're going to give Van Roten every opportunity to beat out Brian Winters and save that $7 million. So stay tuned there. So on to the mock. As I said, we used the simulator, so I don't want to hear, oh, that guy would never be there. Look, maybe the guy won't be there. I'll, I'll tell you right now. I have one pick that I, I think I put in the write-up. On draft day, I don't think this guy's going to be there. Um, and I'm looking at it now, and I, I don't think he's going to be there. But we went with what the simulator gave us. Um, I, I even Honestly, I didn't love all my picks. There were Well, there was one in particular that I really didn't like, but... Based on how the board fell and the Jets' needs, I I kind of felt like I was backed into a corner. So uh, so so let's kick it off here, Alex. Um, for me, in the first round, uh, there were two offensive tackles on the board. There's, uh, Jedrick Wills was on there, along with uh, Thomas out of Georgia, and I went with Jedrick Wills. And I I just think I know we played the right side at Alabama, but I think he's good enough to play on the left. Andrew Thomas is a guy that, you know, was projected higher in the offseason. I just think Wills is a much stronger, just physically stronger guy who can impose his will. And he's going to be a bigger factor in the run game. And he's athletic enough to pass block. So I go with Jedrick Wills first overall to uh, improve Sam, give Sam Darnold more time in the pocket and improve the, improve the running game all around. And Alex, who did you go with and why? Uh, my first selection uh, might have been, you know, Monday feels like it was a year ago um, when we when we published this uh, dual mock. But my mindset was is that uh, the Jets need to get a weapon for Sam Darnold. And with the way that the offensive line is shaking out, it looks like there's a possibility that they could go that route and then look toward the offensive line on day two. So I addressed a big need on this team by drafting Jerry Judy from Alabama. I feel that he is the best. Uh, route runner in class and you know the things that he can just bring like get, creating a spark for your offense uh, you know if anybody's watched uh, anything like any of the games or any, anything on YouTube uh, you can see how he has just this really really freakish ability to be at full speed stop on the dime change direction you know if he's splitting two defenders he has the you know the elusiveness to you know, plan on his outside foot, 
move to the inside and then make a, another sharp cut from defender to go back to that same direction that he was going. And it, it's almost like watching, uh, you know, somebody in Madden. Um, he's like a joystick um, highlight reel. So Jerry Judy fills a big need. Um, we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, filling that number one wide receiver role anymore. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun on Sundays if this happens. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, as much as I've said and, you know, as I just, um, you know, showed here in taking uh, Jedrick Wills, I'm I'm 100% behind taking an offensive tackle at 11. But don't don't take that to mean I wouldn't have a big smile on my face if the Jets landed Jerry Judy and find another way to fill that left tackle spot. Because the guy is at the first time I watched Jerry Judy, um, you know, early this season or late last late last season, whenever it was, I remember it was just, it was a highlight reel on ESPN. And I literally was like, what is that guy doing? Like he doesn't even, he doesn't run like any other human being I've seen. How he's so angular and it, it, it really like video game like, and I just, I was mesmerized. And I, I remember being out with a, a couple of buddies a, a few days later and they're, they're not big college football guys. And, and I'm not either. I watch for the prospect. I don't have a team I root for. Um, but I was telling him, and I couldn't explain it. I was like, have, I was like, you guys have probably not seen Jerry Judy. You only watch the NFL. I was like, you got to see this guy. He just, the, the way he can stop and go, like go from like full speed to slow motion to half commit to one direction and go another. And I was like, the guy looks like a video game. And, uh, and that's, it, listen, if he were a jet, I'd be thrilled. Um, there is no like, oh, you know, you wanted an offensive tackle. Now you're saying you're happy they got Judy. Look, I want an offensive tackle, but you'd have to be an idiot to not want Jerry Judy on your roster. So offensive tackle to me takes priority, but Jerry Judy would be awesome. Uh, no issues with that at all. So then uh, moving on to round two, 48th overall. And I think uh, I think here, Alex, I'm, I'm committed to, you know, if you remember, uh, we both took Zach Bond with this pick in our first mock. And I think I'm committed at 48. If I'm the Jets, it's going to be a defensive player. And I know, yeah, we need offense, we need line, we need receivers. But the, in terms of edge and corner, I don't feel like there are a lot of really good ones in this class. And the Jets' best shot, to me, at getting a starter, um, like a legitimate you know, day one starter at corner or edge, is going to come in round two. Um, so that was my plan. And I, well, I shouldn't say that. That was my my plan was to grab the best receiver on the board because I like the receiver so much, and I passed on one. But if there were, I had a I had a list of three or four guys, and if if none of those guys were there, I was going defense. And I think I kind of knew in the back of my mind it was very unlikely they'd be there. Um, so I went with AJ Terrell out of uh, out of Clemson, cornerback who a lot of people feel like is a day one starter. I think he's a day one starter, and I think that that would you know that would give the Jets. Day one starters at two premium positions, offensive tackle, left tackle, and at corner. So in Terrell and Willis, uh, and Wills and Terrell, great numbers at Clemson, I believe. Saw a number on him. He only had like one game, two games in his college career where he gave up 60 yards or more. Um, just absolutely lights out guy. And I think at 48, that's pretty good value. I've seen him in that range from some other mocks. I, Matt Miller did one the other day. I think he had him like 43rd or 44th, somewhere in there. Uh, but anyway, that's I'm going to AJ Terrell in round two, and uh, and you better believe the uh, you know I, I'm still I'm still wanting two or three receivers in this class, but I, I want a corner or an edge guy with that second pick. 
What do you got, Alex? Okay. Um, and that's a very, very, you know, smart pick, the way this team has been structured uh, with a lot of those one-year deals. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of long-term cornerbacks uh, signed, so that definitely makes a lot of sense. But since I went uh, with a receiving position in my first round, obviously had to come back and think about Sam Darnold again. And this pick was Lucas Niang from TCU. Now, he's a right tackle, um, so that, you know, I know it seems kind of odd. Why wouldn't I go left here? Because, that you know, that's the big position of need or, you know, that's the most important position. Uh, well, I kind of feel that, you know, both having good bookends on your offensive line is, is definitely great. And with him being there, the value is there. Um, he, he's a big guy. I think he's in that 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, range, around 340 to 350 pounds. Uh, you can see on film that he moves extremely well. Uh, 2019, you won't find a lot of film because he did get injured and his year was cut short. But if you go back and you look at that 2018 film, uh, when he gets out into space, uh, he punishes people. Um, he, he's got that molar, a little bit of a nasty attitude. Uh, when he plays, he finishes guys to the ground. Um, and, you know, that's what I love to see is guys that play through the whistle and have a little, little grit. Um, so basically, you know, we will start him on the right side, or at least he'll compete with Chuma Doga. Uh, maybe we kick the tires on Fan on the left side for a year, and that, you know, gives Joe Douglas a little bit more time to figure out a long-term position for left. But at least you know you have a strength on the right side of your line, um, you know, after this selection. Yeah, uh, I, I watch a bit of Niang, not, not a ton since, he's, since he does play on the right side, but what I did watch of him, that dude is an absolute mauler. He's another – I mean, there's a lot of guys in this class that uh, I, I'd have no issue with that pick. That guy is just – he looks like he's going to kick people's ass on that right side for a long time to come. And wherever he goes, he's going to improve their run blocking uh, exponentially. So, you know, very good pick there. Uh, for me, with the next pick, uh, with the first pick in round – the Jets' first pick in round three – Number 68 overall, this is the guy who I almost didn't take him because I'm thinking he's going in round one or two. I think there is zero chance he's there in round three. But I took what the simulator gave me, and I took Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. Uh, Chase Claypool had over 1,000 yards and 13 touchdowns with some pretty bad quarterback play. Um, So you kind of – I don't think you got a a good feel. He's one of those guys I think he could be – you know, over over the long term, maybe a better pro than he was in college. And um, I say all the time, you can't put too much stock on a guy's combine. But when a guy, when a productive guy, like people say, oh, he's a workout warrior now. He's not a workout. To me, a workout warrior is a guy that nobody was paying attention to. And then he blows up the combine and like, oh, my God, who is this guy? We got to draft him. We got, but this guy's a third rounder, second rounder now, you know, before, before he, you know, he was a, a day three pick or an undrafted guy. Um, to me, when you're, a guy the teams are looking at is a, like sort of mid-rounder, third-rounder, you know, anywhere from three to four, and you come in and you have like an all-time combine performance, that's when teams are going to go, wait a minute, is, can, is this guy capable of more than we realized? And I think that's where Chase Claypool is. I think he goes in no later than round two. I believe he's another guy who was mocked in round two when Matt Miller's seven-rounder. So I do not believe he will be there. If he is not, I'm taking Brian Edwards or Van Jefferson. I'm still taking a receiver in this spot. Because Claypool was on the board, I took him. Uh, when 
you know, come come draft time in, in the real world, I don't think Claypool will be there. And it would be, again, for me, Edwards, Van Jefferson, someone along those lines. Alex, pick 68. Who you got? Okay. So the focus still maintains on Sam Darnold in this offense for me. Um, this here is the pick where I go for left tackle. And I'm going to take uh, uh, a player in Ben Barch from St. John's, Minnesota. Now, you may not have heard a lot about him, but he did get some buzz. Uh, down at the was it the Reese's uh, Senior Bowl? Yep, Reese's I believe he Senior attended Bowl. there, and uh, that's where I first started to hear about him. Um, a lot of people were saying that, you know, because he came from a small school, the question was, could he handle better talent or more elite talent or greater talent than what he was going up against? And that is, you know, a very very important week for these prospects because they kind of bring the best of the best and they put them in one-on-one situations and drills to see how they react and what they do. And I heard nothing but positive things about, you know, Ben Barch through this, this practice. So I feel that he probably put himself in a really good position to go on that day two uh, scenario. Now, do I feel that he can be a plug-and-play guy? That is unknown to me. But I do feel that you bring him in because he's got good feet, um, he's very, you know, active and accurate with his hand placement. He can anchor well against bull rushing. And, you know, he stays stride for stride with, with speedier guys. So he is definitely a complete tackle. Uh, the thing is, it's just like don't throw him out there right away to, to have him be exposed and develop bad habits. You know, you want to groom this guy. So, you know, again, my philosophy is we're going to kick the tires with Fant, see what he's got to do. Maybe Barch works his way in later down the season. Uh, or possibly for 2021, uh, Joe Douglas won't have to think about offensive tackle because Ben Barch will be ready in year two. Ben Barch is a guy, I don't know if you saw it, Alex, but uh, the highly respected analyst, uh, some say GM candidate, future GM candidate, uh, Louis Riddick, was uh, was tweeting about Barch the other day saying he was watching him and he was extremely impressed and thought he was going to be a very good player, uh, something that I, I happen to agree with. And... Moving on to pick 79, the second of the Jets' two third-round picks. I was going to go receiver again and double-dip. You double-dipped at tackle. I'm double-dipping at receiver. Uh, In this case, it was Michael Pittman at a USC. And honestly, there were other guys on the board who I might like a tiny bit more. But uh, I think Pittman is the, the, in terms of being a well-rounded guy, he does everything well. And, And the Sam Darnold connection for that reason, I went with Pittman. So now I've got a cup. I've got the offensive tackle to protect Darnold, and now uh, a, a game-breaking receiver in Chase Claypool, and then a well-rounded guy he's familiar with in Michael Pittman. Who do you have in this spot, Alex? Pick seventy-nine. Okay, so I finally go to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I wasn't going to, uh, couldn't go offense again here. Couldn't neglect it, uh, but I got one of my favorite players in this draft and that's Amik Robertson from Louisiana Tech. Uh, now, the first thing that a lot of people will say is he's too small. He's not going to be able to, you know, handle the NFL. And you know what? I, I've seen that uh, narrative be defied so many times. Um, there's so many players that, you know, just have athleticism and the ability to work around their, their height deficiency. So um, I don't want to hear about this guy that's 5'8", 190 pounds. I mean – if Buster Screen with 
with his average play to below average play in the fourth quarter at 5'9 and 180 to 190 pounds could could still stick it um, in the NFL, then Amik Robertson definitely can do so too. But what I really like about him is that he shows very, very high football IQ. Um, I was actually watching a little bit him earlier, and something that I really noticed um, when people were talking about his ball hawk ability is he's very aware, even though he may have man coverage duties on the outside, he'll, he'll keep, he keeps his head on a swivel and he's looking for the ball. And if the ball is coming toward another uh, receiver and he wants to assist, he will peel off that route and go hunting. And he did that a lot, of, a lot uh, throughout his time in college. And it, he was very successful, uh, totaling 34 pass deflections and 15 interceptions. So this little guy plays with a huge heart, and he definitely does not play to the level that his height speaks of. Yeah, he's an aggressive guy out on the out on the boundary, and uh, wouldn't be a bad pick in that spot, as far as I'm concerned. Now, my next pick, round four, one twenty, one twenty overall. One of my favorite players in this class, a guy who I thought would be worthy of first round consideration. Not long ago, but because of uh, some injuries, and for whatever reason, I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember the last time I saw a guy who got as much first round buzz as this, and is now being projected as a third, fourth rounder, and he was on the board for me, so I'm taking him. I'm taking Tyler Biadish out of Wisconsin. He's a center who can play a little bit of guard. You go back six, seven, eight months. You go back a year. I feel like Biadish was sort of the consensus number one center in the country, and then. Ever since the season ended, every you know you just don't hear his name anymore. I actually looked. I, I mentioned uh, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report. I mentioned his mock draft earlier. I I took a look to see where he had Beatish, and I think he had him going to the Patriots. Yeah, he had him at the the, the Patriots at one twenty five. Um, but uh, if I'm running the show, I'm grabbing him at one twenty before he gets to the Patriots. And I just I just can't believe a guy this good. Has is now viewed as as being you know a guy who's going to be a fourth round pick, so I feel like I'm getting a steal with Tyler Beatish here. All right, so that leaves me up to my fourth pick, and this is where we're going to back to the offense. Uh, there's a theme here in my draft, and I want to get all the positive things that I can for Sam Darnold, and I'm going down to Minnesota and I'm taking Tyler Johnson. Uh, this is another one of my favorite receivers in this this class. Um, you know, as we've said, it's very deep, and a lot of these guys are going to end up sliding. Uh, Tyler was extremely productive uh, in Minnesota. He was, uh, you know, pretty much the, the heartbeat to that offense. Um, they would go to him time and time again, and he just would make these acrobatic plays, one-handed grabs, almost like Odell Beckham, like, ability when, when the ball is up in the air. Um, and he's not the biggest guy. I think he's between that, you know, six, one, maybe six, three range. Um, he, he doesn't have great breakaway speed, but it's, it, it's, his play speed's fine. Um, you know, already talked about, you know, his, how great his hands are. And, you know, for someone that racked up 3000 yards and 33 touchdowns, uh, that's someone that, you know, gets into the end zone and can be a playmaker for your team immediately. So you match him up as the potential number two, to my Jerry Judy, and then you've got Crowder, Bell, Herndon, Griffin. Um, you know, the Jets might be able to play some ball here and, and do some positive things on offense with uh, 
that dynamic duo of rookies. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I absolutely love that pick, and I feel like I do, because this receiver class is so deep, I feel like I'm continually saying, that guy's one of my favorite receivers, that guy's one of my favorite receivers, that guy's one of my favorite receivers, <laughs> uh, but this guy's one of my favorite receivers. Um, Tyler Johnson, I actually, I, I said at the outset, Alex, that um, I had one pick in my own class, in my own mock, that I didn't love, and it's my next one, and the reason for that is Tyler Johnson. Um I had done a, a couple of mocks that day before I finally settled in and said, all right, this one is going to be my mock, whatever happens, and this one is, is the one I'm going to publish. Um, but I had seen Tyler Johnson fall to round five a couple times. So I was like, oh, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind, and I'm going to grab him in round five. Uh, round five came, and Tyler Johnson was gone. And I was like, oh, damn. And at yeah. that point, the way the board fell, it was a lot of kind of tight ends, D-line, safety, like the last things the Jets need. So I ended up going with a guy, I mean, explosive guy, fun guy who would probably be a good player, um, but wasn't my top choice. Uh, or, or I would have rather a Tyler Johnson or, or a different position here, but I went with Javelin Guidry, a small school guy, ran a sub 4-3, if I'm not mistaken, or in the 4-3s, slot corner. You figure Brian Poole's only on a one-year deal, so maybe you groom Guidry to take that spot. And I think he's going to be an absolute monster on special teams. So um, probably my own least favorite pick, but I uh, had to go with the way the board fell. And I grabbed Javelin Guidry at 158. Who do you got there, Alex, at 158? Uh, I must say, I, I loved how you have changed your your draft philosophy from the first one into this one because I remember talking off air with you about how you thought that the Jets would prioritize the cornerback position much more in free agency rather than in the draft. And it seems like the way that they're positioning themselves, we might see one or two uh, corners go in, in this uh, out of these eight picks. So yeah, definitely like the transition that you've made fifth round, uh, maybe late, but I feel that with this edge position, um, there's no one that can shine the shoes of Chase Young. So what you want to do is try to find, you know, players that can keep your defense honest, uh, you know, be good run supporters and in situational football, give you, you know, an honest pass rush. And I feel that Anthony Jennings from Alabama fits that mold. Uh, I think that he would be very, very solid for Greg Williams three, four or his four, three scheme. Uh, you know, his, he's got the tools to get after the quarterback, but you know, he seems like more of a power guy. He's a, he's a dense, you know, big, kind of a bigger upper body. So he's not as flexible or doesn't have that, you know, that crazy bend that you see from certain players. So, you know, what I, where I see him um, and where he rounds out to be is like he has the potential to be a very, very solid player. You know, I'm not talking Pro Bowl or All Pro. Just somebody that, you know, just a reliable guy in your defense. And I could see his floor being like a Jordan Jenkins, per se, um, which we know we're very comfortable with that. Um, that's solid. That's not – you know, a lead or anything like that. But, you know, at times Jordan has been reliable and passing in certain pass rushing situations. And I think that Jennings and Jordan on each side would be a decent pairing for this defense. Yeah, I think um, the edge thing, you know, we talked about it. It's just I feel like there's a couple guys at the top uh, who, you know, who I would like, but you're not getting them. And I almost feel like, I, I, I actually, I'm, I do address it with my last pick, but that's, I, I just wish it was a deeper class. 
I don't I don't love a lot of the guys that are out there. Um, Jennings is a guy who I think flashes at times, but that, you know that's what you're going to get at this point. If you're looking for an edge rusher and you're getting one in round five, of course you're going to get a guy who has holes in his game and isn't consistent and things like that. But Jennings does have some workable traits that uh, you know maybe he can become a productive player. Um, for me, with pick 191, and this is a uh, this is definitely just a guy that I've I've become. Uh, I think I'm sort of on my own here. I don't hear a lot about him, but you've you've heard me talk about him. Benjamin Victor, uh, he was still there in round six. I actually, you know, I'm, I'm glad Matt Miller's mock came out because I was curious to see how this fell. Um, he has him undrafted. He has him as a non-drafted product. Um, I mean, I'm taking him late, taking him with the 191st pick. But I just think a guy who was six four, who moves as well as he does with the ball in his hands, uh, deceptively, um, I guess, quick. You'd say he just he, he has he has some quickness and he cut back that you don't generally see with a receiver who's six foot four. So I think he's a guy who can make some plays and I'm grabbing him with one ninety one. Who do you got next, Alex? Okay, so uh double dipping here, sticking to the edge outside linebacker position. Uh you know, we're unsure of how the rotation or the depth's gonna work. So I figured what better way, you know, go for two, see which guy sticks, you know, for the long term. And I'm going for Carter Coughlin here out of Minnesota. Uh, he's got some familiarity with uh, Cashman, our inside linebacker, who's backing up mostly in Williamson right now. Uh, what I saw from him is he's an effort guy. Um, he plays through the whistle. Uh, again, not an elite pass rusher, but he was productive in the backfield. Um, I think he had 40 total tackles for a loss and 22 and a half sacks and eight forced fumbles with, uh, you know, what he was doing in the backfield. So he has a knack for sniffing out plays, and, you know, his speed and everything like that isn't elite, but he puts him, his, himself in good positions to contain the run on the outside and, and keep the runners, you know, going to where his help is. And he's also very good at cutting off lanes in, in the screen game and or, you know, smoke screens down the line when he's doing that perimeter pursuit. Uh, those are a lot of things that I saw, and he tallied four pass deflections um, in his final year, uh, breaking up plays and unfoiling uh, screen plays like that. So you can tell that he's got a very, very high IQ for, you know, diagnosing things quickly, which is definitely helpful when you don't have elite athleticism or traits. All right, and I'm going to use my last pick to finally address the edge, and it's a guy you would have heard us talk about with uh, Emery Hunt a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was saying Tippa Galei. It's apparently Tippa, and even though it starts with a G, it's Tippa Nalei, um, Utah State edge rusher, way undersized. Way under, he comes in at like two twenty five, two thirty five, but he's got long limbs. He's explosive, and he's a guy that I mean, he's a he's a total project. But again, that's what you get in round six. You're not you're not drafting a, a day one starter in round six, or you know the odds of that are a million to one. But this is a guy who the combination of his explosiveness and his long limbs, I think that if he can add weight and the right coach gets a hold of him, he can be a productive guy off the edge. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, going back to that Matt Miller mock, he actually had the Jets making that same pick at 211 in his mock. I think he's worth the gamble at that spot, uh, given the upside. So you, yeah, yeah, day one, he's not going to be big enough or strong enough. But if he can add some weight and still maintain that quickness, and, and, you know, Greg Williams gets hold of him and, and, you know, gets him to use his traits, you know, use his, his God-given talents properly. 
I think he can be a productive player off the edge and a and a you know nice bargain for a sixth round pick. And that Alex brings us to your final pick, number two, uh, two eleven overall. Who do you have? So here I'm going to get some depth at the running back position to uh, be the understudy behind Le'Veon Bell, and I'm going to Miami for DJ Dallas. Now this was a guy that was a wide receiver recruit. Uh, that converted to running back, so receiving ability, running routes, things like that, he's very familiar with. Uh, he plays very physical. He's got good balance after contact. Um, definitely not a guy that you can arm tackle. Now, with his 40 time, he had he was in the upper four fives, so I guess, you know, he might be considered a little bit of a slower back. Uh, again, you know, something that you mentioned on Twitter today, you know, play speed and, and track speed or 40 times speed can be completely two different things. And I feel like this is one of those scenarios. Uh, what I really liked about him was how fluid he was when he gets out into space. He can change lanes and, you know, he takes very, very sharp angles. Um, and then, you know, once he gets that straightaway that he's looking for in that lane, he can really, really uh, put on the another gear of afterburners and, uh, you know, just blow the defense away. So, you know what it kind of reminded me of? Um, maybe not as as talented or, you know, like Bilal Powell, but I kind of got that vibe from him on how he can take a play on an inside, like, zone read, you know, follow his blockers, choose the right lane, and the next thing you know, he's breaking off the scene and the safety is taking a pursuit angle, like, oh, my God, like, how did this guy do this? So you see a lot of plays where, you know, he makes guys look bad when he's uh, in that lane. So I, I really like DJ Dallas to, to close out this draft and, you know, get a little bit more younger talent in the RB room. Yeah, I think um, I, I don't I don't dislike the pick, but my mindset, the, the more I think about this, a um, couple things. I, I, I really hope Joe Douglas's plan is to trade down once or twice, even if we're talking late rounders. If he can add another fifth and another sixth somewhere along the way, that would be fantastic. I think I think he wants to come out of this with more players. I mean, listen, every GM does, but not every GM has as many needs as the Jets do. So some teams might, you know, if you're the Chiefs, well, actually, the Chiefs, did you see that story about the Chiefs cap space, Alex? Yeah, they, they've got, I think they, they owe money now to the league. <laughs> no, they have, they have like $700 in cap space. Somebody was like, the Chiefs can't afford a new Xbox in their cap space, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like a team like, like, let's say not the Chiefs, but a team that, well, I guess that wouldn't impact their, their cap space. All if you're a team that only needs a few holes to be filled, yeah, maybe you say, oh, man, there's this guy that, you know, we think he's going to be there at 120 and the Jets are there. We got to move up. Uh, let, let's give the Jets 142 and, and uh, you know, a fifth and a seventh, you know, something like that. Uh, where where you don't sacrifice a great deal, but you you add a couple picks. Um, but my question to you, Alex, and again, I, I don't. The more I think about it, I'm like, I don't want there are a few spots I don't want to see them use any picks. I don't want to see a tight end. I don't want to see a D lineman. I don't want to see a safety. Um, and the more I thought, the more I think about it. Having you know previously, I think I had them taking a, a running back. I don't want any picks being used on backs. And the reason is that I think. With Le'Veon Bell and Josh Adams, who I, I think they like Josh Adams. We know, you know, Rappaport tweeted out last year, or, or Schefter, one of them, when the Jets elevated Josh Adams 
prior to what was it, the week 15, 16, 17 game, whatever it was very late in the year. Uh, they said it was because another team was interested. And there, there was a team that was going to poach him off the Jets practice squad. And the Jets were like, nope, we like this guy. We're going to put him on the active roster so he can't get poached. Um, so we know they like him. He's had some success in the NFL. He's only, only got two years in the league, so he's still plenty young. And you look at Kenneth Dixon, who's a guy who had success in Baltimore as a backup. Um, and uh, for me personally, I would, I would try to get Bilal Powell back on a cheap deal. And then you'd be looking at, you know, Bell, Adams, Dixon, Powell. Listen, if this O-line is, is as improved as we hope, and the receivers, you know, they had a couple receivers in the draft, I think Bell, Adams, Dixon is fun. Now, now if the Jets look at it and say, look, we want to add a game breaker because, you know, Bell, Adams, Dixon, good backs, none of them are game breakers. But if they see a guy up there who, you know, who blew them away at the combine and they want someone to, you know, one touch and take it to the house, then fine, maybe they make a move there. But um, I just, I've, I've kind of in my mind lumped running back in with those groups where I'm like, you know what, if the offensive line is even solid, you can get by with Bell, Adams, Dixon, sign Powell, let him compete for a spot. You know, we talked last year about Jalen Moore. Does he hang around and get a legitimate chance? So while they don't Trent have, Gannon. you know, uh, what's that? Trenton Gannon, too. I think he's coming back, right? He, he is. The only reason I'm not mentioning him, and I like Trenton Cannon, I just, I just view who I think he's going to be so exclusively a special teamer. Um, I, I would love to see him. You know, I said last year when, when people said that, you know, with Adam Gase, they thought Cannon wouldn't make the roster because he's got no, no, uh, no loyalty to him. He didn't draft him. I kind of said, look, the guy is good enough on specials that I would love to keep him around for a year or two while he develops because he does have that game-breaking speed. So I, I guess I was kind of not mentioning him because I just get the feeling Adam Gase doesn't have any interest in, in him in that role. Uh, I'd love it if he did. I would love Cannon to, to get more carries. Um, and then you would have that potential game-breaker on the roster. So, yeah, I'm, now, of course, I look in, and, yeah, if there's a, a, a running back that you have a second or third round grade and he's sitting there in the sixth, yeah, I guess you take him. You know, you, you don't pass on him. You know, when there's that much value, you, you, you grab the guy. But, you know, if, if things go kind of as, as teams expect and, and guys are where they're, where they're expected to be, I just, I'm not a fan of, of getting a back at the moment because I just, I just feel like if that O-line holds up, then they've got enough because – because of the fact that, you know, as we're all hoping, Sam Darnold's going to have a little more time to throw. And if you give Darnold a little more time to throw, he's going to be an elite quarterback. So if you've got an elite quarterback and you've added a couple of receivers, you got Herndon back, you got Griffin back, you got Perriman, you got, you know, excellent slot receiver and Crowder, and say you add two receivers in the draft, that's enough there to, to stop defenses from stacking the box. And now you're, now these backs, they have a little bit of running room and there's not as much urgency. So, um, Again, if if they get great value and they take a back, uh, I'm you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw my laptop through my television screen, but um, I just I want every pick to be receiver, O line, corner, edge. Like I'd be fine with that. Uh, I don't want backs. I don't want tight ends. I don't want safeties. I don't want D line. Um, you know now now of course come time to grab some undrafted guys, and I wanted to add, I I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to mention about. Did you get a chance yet, Alex, to watch that Omar Bayless, the the plays I sent you? Um, you know, I I haven't gotten a chance to. Yeah, that's, that's I, I didn't think you did. I know yet. Yeah, it's a lot of craziness going on. But I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Omar Bayless. I was completely unfamiliar with until a couple of days ago. 
He's, I haven't seen him in any mocks. I guess they're projecting him as an, as an undrafted guy. Uh, if you get a chance, folks, uh, go to YouTube and look up Omar Bayless. And this guy, I'll tell you what, man, some of the catches he – and routinely. not I shouldn't say routinely, but, but regularly. Like the number of catches I'm seeing this guy make with one hand. He's 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he outjumps guys. He, uh, you know, long arms, high points the ball, catches the ball in a crowd. Several catches where he's holding a defender off with one hand and pulling it in with the other. And I'm just looking at this guy like, how is this, how is this guy not getting more talk? And then I remember, oh, that's right, that this receiver class is so insanely deep that a guy like this isn't getting any attention. Um, so he may be an undrafted guy. And that's, that's where I'm kind of excited because I think if you're, if you're an agent for a young old lineman or a young receiver, if the Jets call you right after the draft and say, hey, we're interested, you might steer your guy in that direction because the Jets are going to have legitimate competitions at all those spots and um, not, a, not a lot of proven talent there. So it, it could get interesting come undrafted time and, uh, you know, time to bring those guys in. And, and I would expect no matter how many O-linemen the Jets grab, you're going to see some undrafted guys get snagged up as well. So that, that'll be interesting to see. But um, that was uh, – that was one thing that that uh, well it, it wasn't it it wasn't this previous um, presser Alex but I want to talk about Joe Douglas's comments because one guy we haven't talked about is a first round possibility um, not recently anyway um, now that we've wrapped up our draft one guy that I thought about in round one and I'm not sure if you saw the comments I can't remember if we discussed it previously uh, Jim Nagy the Senior Bowl uh, president who puts the rosters together. Uh, Joe Douglas talked about how, you know, the Jets want to get faster, speed causes pressure, pressure breaks pipes and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, Henry Ruggs, the third out of Alabama. Jim Nagy, the, again, the senior bowl executive, he's the guy, he watches these guys play. He talks to NFL teams. He watches a lot of them play in person. I think he said he saw Henry Ruggs four times, which means he saw Jerry Judy four times. Um, he said that to him, Henry Ruggs is wide receiver one in this class. Uh, he runs the four two seven. And it certainly isn't just straight line speed, because if you look at the breakdown, someone tweeted out a breakdown of the route trees that the top receivers in this class ran. And Henry Ruggs probably had the most diverse route tree of any receiver in the class. So, you know, people who get caught up on 40 times the same way they did with Robbie Anderson, they'll look at his time, they'll go, one trick pony, one trick pony, runs a deep ball, one trick pony. This dude is not a one trick pony. Tons of slants, not a lot of comebacks. A lot of deep balls, a lot of posts, ran some outs. Um, basically ran a complete route tree with a 4-2-7. And you've got Jim Nagy, the senior bowl exec, talking about how he believes he might be or how he believes he is the alpha dog in that Alabama receiving room and how he thinks that uh, – He, sorry, Alex, I just saw your uh, that tweet from John Clayton that you sent me. Um, so let's, let's cover that real quick. We'll talk about rugs in a second. So John Clayton, Alex just shot this to me while I was rambling on that the Jets and Titans are talking about uh, adding Jadavion Clowney now that he has dropped his asking price to seventeen million. Alex, are you are you paying Jadavion Clowney seventeen million? And if you are, how many years are you doing that for? Oof, I don't know because I kind of feel like the seventeen million dollar contract history <laughs> has come to bite us every single time free agent with that number uh so that definitely is like the uh i don't know the black cat crossing the street but um i'm not sure because where we're standing right now 
they haven't really gone out and made any big splashing moves, and it doesn't seem like this would fit the Joe Douglas uh, model from what we've seen him do. Um, also, I, I, you know, as you and I were talking about earlier this week, really unsure where the Jets are cap-wise. Um, there's a few sites that have, like, various different numbers, and I think Yates went out there and said that we were in the 40 mil range where everyone else is kind of yeah. showing us in the lower 30s or even you know what the, I, you know, the lower one. Yeah, I wanted to talk about it. You know what I think that was, Alex? Because I'm looking at it again. I really think that was Yates looking at, like, on the books, that was the right number. But that wasn't including the, the guys they signed. Per- perfect right. example. I checked it just, and I'll pull it up right now. I was looking to see if Over the Cap has updated it yet. So Over the Cap, which is really the premier site in, in, t- in team salary caps, they're still showing the Jets with $32 million. However, they're, they're not showing – Connor McGovern isn't on here yet. Um, who else? There are basically three or four guys. I'm well, not going to scroll through the, the entire – hours, and they've What's signed that? a few people. So, well, right, right. They, they, they've been they announcing these signings, making them official. Today, yeah. Right, they're making these deals official now, but none of the only new guys I see on here. I know Fant was on here fairly early. Poole is on here. Lewis is on here. Van Roten is on here. But I mean, they signed twelve guys, and and the biggest money guys. Well, the biggest money guy, um, McGovern isn't on here. He's nine million alone, so that brings that thirty-two million down to what twenty-three million. And then who was the uh, the most? Well, I mean, nobody cares about fails. He's not going to make that much. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, that's probably not even worth talking about. Uh, Anwosor, the linebacker, he's not on there. Um, I think they gave him around three million. So that's that's twelve million right off the bat, right off the top of my head, that isn't included on over the cap, which would bring them down to twenty million. And yeah, I, I think, like I said, I think Rich Samini said the Jets were around ten million. And Connor Hughes said his his best guess had them at seven and a half, but they're certainly not going to have more than about twelve million. Now, of course, when Tremaine Johnson can be cut after June first, that gets them eleven million. But really, that's almost a wash when you consider what it will take to sign all the rookies. So Tremaine Johnson, his deal alone will offset the rookie contracts, meaning the Jets will be sitting at about ten, eleven, twelve million dollars. Now that's why. I think people look at Brian Winters and say, well, that dude, can, you save 7.2 if you cut him. And I know you touched on it last week, Alex, uh, the Avery Williamson thing. I really yeah. still believe there's a possibility he gets cut or traded. I don't know what you can get for a linebacker coming off a major injury. Maybe you get a six, which would be great value for the team acquiring him because they would only owe him, what, uh, $4.5 because the Jets would be on the hook for a couple million and in term, almost nothing as a draft pick. But you, you've now got like six, seven inside linebackers on this roster. And Avery Williamson is a guy that the Jets didn't acquire. And they literally went out and signed the guy who played alongside Mosley in Baltimore. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just, that's a lot of resources. Like they just signed Hewitt and Burgess. You know, they just brought them back as backups. They're not going to cut one of them. And then they signed the guy who played alongside Mosley in Baltimore. So where does that leave you in terms of maybe Cashman? Maybe they're looking at him like, look, we don't think this guy's ever going to stay healthy. Maybe they view him as a guy who won't make the roster. Or are they looking at him and saying, listen, uh, by the time the season rolls around, we're going to be down to about $9, 10000000 in cap space. 
you always want to leave, you know, teams generally leave at least $5 million, um, in, you know, for wiggle room in case, in case someone gets injured and they trade for a guy who makes more money than the guy that got hurt. So really, the Jets, you know, as things stand, they would be looking at going into the season with about $5 million to spend. And I just don't see them doing that. So um, maybe they do cut a Winters. Maybe, maybe Williamson gets dealt. I think if, between Williamson and, and, and Winters, he's obviously the better player, uh, you know, more likely to have some trade value even, even with the injury. But I, I don't see them carrying like six or seven inside linebackers. Um, teams just don't do that. Uh, so, but, but going back to the clowny thing, Alex, it's, um, I, I wouldn't bring that guy in for more than a year. I just think the, the production has been too inconsistent. There are questions about his effort and, uh, I'm not paying 17 million for a guy coming off of a three sack season. I, I don't care what the system was and what they asked him to do. 17 million for a guy with three sacks is an awful lot of money. And I think, uh, I think the jets are doing their due diligence as they said, but, for seventeen million, that's just that's just too much for me. That's yeah, much I me. happen to agree um, because just like with the scenario that you just played out, um, there's so many things that you have to factor into. Acquiring him would mean that you have to, at minimum, get rid of two, possibly three other players. Yeah, uh, and maybe there is some wiggle room with the abundance of inside linebackers that we do have. So, but you know what is the fallout, you know, the cause and effect of signing a player like that and giving him elite money when we really haven't seen elite production. Um, you know, he sometimes, you know, he's not on the field because he's dealing with nagging injuries. He's, he's um, never had a 10 sack season. Times, yep. He's never, I mean, had he's, I, I think to be fair, I think he had like nine and a half or nine. So he's right on the cusp, but right. you get my point. Yeah, I mean, the, we've seen other players that do that, and they're not even getting close to those kind of deals. So, you know, his agent and and him are looking at him still as that blue chip first round guy. And to be honest with you, if he if he did live up to that standards, he'd still be in Houston. Uh, so, you know, maybe he's got to come to reality and and bring down his margin a little bit more. And if he can get it closer to maybe a fifteen or fourteen million range. Um, maybe Joe Douglas figures out a way to, you know, cut some cap and, and bring him in, but uh, I wouldn't break the bank for him. Yeah, and speaking of cap and breaking banks and things, I mentioned this earlier. So here's the numbers I was talking about. The Jets next offseason are projected currently to have $83 million in cap space. Um, parting ways with Le'Veon Bell would save them $9.5 million. It'd be a $4 million cap hit, but that's, I mean, you talk about negligible. When you're getting over $90 million in cap space, you're not worried about a $4 million hit. Uh, Jameson Crowder, he's not going anywhere. Um, he, you'd save $10 million, but you're not, he's, he's fine. You're not getting rid of him, barring something catastrophic this season. Anun wants a $6 million savings after this season. So if they keep him around, IR him if he gets hurt again, whatever. Uh, but Henry Anderson's a big one because he's got to have a big season if he wants his payday next year. Uh, if you cut Henry Anderson after the 2020 season, that's $9.5 million in savings. George Fant, if he doesn't pan out, which we all have our questions about him, He's a seven point four million in savings. Alex Lewis is five point three in savings. Van Roten is three million in savings with minimal cap hits on all these guys. So no, you don't want to talk about having to cut these guys two seconds after you signed them. But let's be honest, Fant is a question mark. Lewis is far from an entrenched veteran starter. Same goes for Van Roten. 
Anderson's a good player, but is he going to perform to the level that justifies that salary? Le'Veon Bell, I, I think, is absolutely gone after this season. Um, so the Jets could very realistically be over $100 million in cap space. And that's where I wonder, Alex, can you get creative? Can you, you, know, can you say to, to, to Clowney, $8 million this year and, and $21 million next year, where we can afford it and it really makes it a, you know, what, what were the, what, I don't even know. I was just throwing out numbers. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you, you bring down the average per year dramatically by giving them a small, small deal year one, a huge deal year, deal year two. But I would imagine guys want, you know, guys always want that front-loaded contract. So I don't see it happening. It doesn't look like it's, it's the way Joe Douglas wants to go. Um, I think, yeah, I think you hit, I, you hit the nail on the head, Alex. If, if he has to bring his asking price down to 14, 15 million, then I think the Jets are going to get involved. But at the current sort of 17, 18, uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think that's a, a, a realistic option for the Jets right now. And, and I don't mind that, to be honest. Um, so only other real, I mean, I, I touched on it briefly, Alex. David Fails is back. Th- does this matter? Is he going to make the roster? I mean, I hear people saying, oh, but he knows the system. And, and, and my response is just like, listen, man, Luke Falk knew the system, okay? Luke Falk came, came over from Miami because Adam Gase had him the year before with the Dolphins. Um, knowing the system... It, like, if you taught me and Alex the system, would we be good options as backup quarterbacks? Probably not, right? So uh, knowing the system only gets you so far. Um, is this a guy you think makes the roster, Alex? Uh, not really. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people got very excited when that had happened, and some people thought that, you know, Joe Douglas did not handle uh, the backup quarterback situation, you know, properly or anything like that, and you know, we got to bring in bodies. Somebody's got to run the practice squad. Somebody has to run the second and third string teams. You need this stuff. Um, you know, you can't have Sam, you know, throwing the ball 100, 150 times, you know, every practice, trying to get everybody, uh, you know, ready for the for day one in the season opener. So I, I feel like this is just a camp body for right now. Uh, if he does end up being uh, a backup or, you know, second or third stringer, I, I kind of hope that we don't have to see him because I remember saying something very similar last year that, you know, if we are watching, you know, Simeon or Fails or um, who was a guy that was before him and ended up getting cut from Miami. He's drawing a blank right now. He played against uh, New England. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, what I was saying was is that if we end up seeing those guys on Sunday, something very terrible has happened. And clearly that did happen last year. So, I'm kind of hoping that we don't see any scenario where those guys are playing on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, you know, that was a situation where you need a body, you need a camp arm. It makes sense from that, from that perspective. But if David fails, I mean, my hope, you know, as I've said before, I, I, I liked Mike White a lot coming out of Western Kentucky. I would absolutely love to see him find a way to win that job. And, uh, you know, again, maybe another veteran that gets cut loose during training camp. Or after training camp, maybe you grab somebody, but uh, not a not a huge fan, not a huge fan of the fails move, and it seems most people weren't. But um, the draft now, Alex, three weeks away. I think it's quite likely we'll do another mock because uh, again, try to limit it, but uh, we got some time on our hands, so we'll probably do another one. It'll probably change. be absolutely. Hey, listen, if they do sign Jadavion Clowney, that changes some things. 
So uh, yeah. we'll do one probably the last show before the. Actually, I think draft me on a Friday. One, maybe we'll do a Thursday show with a mock the day before the draft. But as far as this week, that'll wrap things up. Alex, thanks so much. Go ahead and give out the Twitter handle, and we will we will sign this off and call it a show. Yep. Like as always, this has been a pleasure. And Jet uh, Nation, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. Don't forget to take a look at JetNation.com at the forums. That's where it's all going down, all the Jets conversation you could possibly need. And uh, thanks for coming by, Jet Nation. Yes, everyone. Listen, thanks so much for tuning in. Crazy world out there right now. Please, for the love of God, stay in your damn home if you can. Uh, If you don't have to go out, don't go out. Don't be selfish. Don't be stupid. Stay in your house. Go Jets. And uh, check us out next week. And have have yourself a uh, very safe week, Jets fans. Take care. And Joe Douglas. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23. And Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.